Hello, and welcome to Special Issue, Wiley's podcast for societies about all things scholarly publishing. I'm Stephanie Wilson. In this episode, we'll listen in on the talk given by Billy Williams, EVP for Ethics, Diversity, and Inclusion at the American Geophysical Union, followed by Demita Snow, Senior Publishing Manager and DEI Chair at the American Society of Civil Engineers at our recent Virtual Society Executive Seminar. Billy began his talk by explaining who the AGU is and their mission to advance Earth and space science for the benefit of humanity. However, when it comes to diversity, equity, and inclusion, the AGU has a multi-layered policy foundation and a very strategic plan to create an organization with a more inclusive scientific culture. Here's Billy. So our work in this space has very, very solid foundational uh, policies. So there was, there was a 2017 AGU ethics policy and when this policy was released, it was uh, very forward-leaning. And in this policy, we define harassment, discrimination, and bullying as scientific misconduct. So we were one of the first organizations to do so, and we follow up and we enforce a lot of the uh, professional conduct around this policy. Uh, and a lot of other organizations have, we've worked with other organizations who uh, have watched our practices and, and have uh, uh, adopted some of the things that, that we have led with. We also have an AGU diversity and inclusion strategic plan, uh, which was uh, lays out a roadmap for things we will do and how we will operate and be known, our vision for how we, how we will be known uh, in DEI across AGU. And this was adopted in 2018. And then most recently in 2020, AGU updated its strategic plan guiding the full organization. And in that strategic plan of the three strategic goals, one of the goals is for AGU to model and promote an inclusive scientific culture. So this, this becomes fundamental to everything we do and are doing in AGU across all AGU programming. So I think we, if you understand the data, you'll be more inclined to act. There is uh, still a, a, a tolerance of bias, and so those are things we're trying to educate on. Um, There's some individuals or groups or organizations who are just satisfied the status quo, don't see a need to change. And some individuals and organizations are still very vocal about that. And then there are others who, uh, yeah, we think there's a problem here, but I don't, we have other things to do or our, our advancing the science is more important than some of these items that are tangential that they would see as tangential to the science. And I don't feel it's tangential at all. So that's the unwillingness to act or lead. And that's why I'm calling this talk, I call it cultivating bravery and redefining expectations. Well, so what should be the expectation for professional societies in this arena? Are you there just to advance discovery? Are you there to address the items that really uh, hinder the full advancement of the science? So result, the results of those symptoms up above, uh, the symptoms of the, the issues above are uh, uh, pervasive harassment and bias in STEM continue, will continue to persist, uh, low progression of women into authority positions in STEM, and also, uh, as we've witnessed over the past few years, some disproportionate impact of COVID, uh, due to traditional gender roles. What are the issues what can we do? These we can do to address what's happening. I'll just briefly hit these. 
so address underlying issues around gender harassment, uh, making sure you have a policy and making sure you have enforcement mechanism. Some organizations have been shy to lead into the space because they're concerned they don't have the wherewithal to address, don't have the policies in place, or are afraid of lawsuits or retributions or whatever. But I would say uh, there's, you have an obligation, we have an obligation to address underlying issues. Uh, provide workshops and educational materials. So part of the work in my office is to provide ongoing workshops and education, not only for our members, but also for our, we have uh, uh, required training or education for elected leaders. So anyone sort of board or council elected leaders required to uh, have uh, specific training or education. And we also provide workshops at each of our annual meetings. Um, mentorship is the next item, and I can't say enough about mentorship. Um, I, I, I'm sure many of you has, have been involved or are currently involved either as a mentor for someone or, uh, or as a mentee, or you have been impacted by others. So we strongly encourage uh, mentorship and sponsorship, uh, not only when you look at advancing women scientists, but also anyone from underrepresented groups. The last item on the right is to nominate women scientists for the highest awards. And we track uh, our demographics across all of AGU awards, fellows, medalists, um, uh, any honorary activities. And once you start tracking and profiling those, you will see whether there is an issue or not versus what the demographics are within your society. So we, we uh, so, but what we have found in our organization is some of the lack of the advancement is a lack of nominations of those. So those who are advance for consideration. So we encourage individuals to nominate more aggressively, and also we encourage groups to look at uh, who's eligible. Uh, practically address uh, COVID impacts. I don't need to say more about that. I think uh, any of us can articulate the impacts they've seen uh, either locally or across the, across the profession, but we're also trying, we're gathering data about what we're seeing in publications, what we're seeing in other aspects of, of within our professional society. Uh, support gender equity initiatives. There are a number of gender e equity initiatives and um, we encourage uh, you to get involved with those. One that I will mention here is called Sea Change and you may or may not be familiar with Sea with Change, it's sponsored through uh, American Association for Advancement of Science. It's modeled after uh, the Athena Swan project in the UK. Some of you may be familiar with that as a uh, counterpart of that called SAGE in Australia. So that's an initiative that uh, we think can help uh, impact gender equity in STEM. Um, but in the US, that sea change is more than about gender. It's about, uh, it's more than gender equity. It's gender equity, racial equity. So it looks more holistic in terms of having data. Publicly track your gender participation uh, metrics. And then on the last item, uh, and we can talk more about how you track and what you should track and report, but uh, collaborate with and support your women and student uh, affinity groups. So many people have affinity groups that, that provides a home for them to be more uh, included. So for addressing racism, there are three levels. You can address it on personal level, you can address it on institutional level, 
you can address it uh, uh, more systemically, more holistically. So here's some things that uh, we promote in these areas for personal, be aware of your unconscious biases, uh, get out of your comfort zone, proactively use your own privilege for good. There are things that organizations can do that's, that's more in the middle. Examine your own institutional policies and practices. We're doing a lot of introspective introspection today with AGU about our own practices that we've just sort of, oh, that's just the way it is. Uh, but there are things we can change and are working to actively change. Spending and governance, um, who do we put up for office? Uh, uh, who do we put forward for office? And uh, what resources do we provide? And then culture change, that last one, is looking at the systemic issues that, uh, that we don't control, but that we can certainly influence. And uh, I've, I've been in this role as a DEI officer for AGU for the past uh, four years now. But And then when I was asked to do this, my first reaction was, Am I being rewarded or punished? But I concluded that uh, I was being rewarded for the opportunity to have a legacy uh, in this area. And the item on the right has to do with an organization that's now been founded, Societies and Sorting to Address Harassment in STEM. And it has over 130 member organizations. And if your organization is not one of those, I would, I would invite a, a conversation with you on, on becoming a member. One more thing, and this will be fast. We have also recently launched uh, a, a program we're calling AGU Landing. It has two components, a community of practice with resources for use across all of STEM and a, an academy. So the community of practice is a platform with, uh, where we bring people together with curated resources and, and manage discussions across all of STEM. The academy is a selection of cohorts of participants that will get intensive trainings and projects uh, over a two-year period with successive cohorts going forward. And we, and we believe those two things will lead to organizational and cultural change. Next up, we'll hear from Demita. Demita began her talk sharing the mission and vision of the ASCE to foster an understanding, dignity, and respect among staff and cultivate an inclusive workforce that reflects all segments of society. Here's Demita. Let's talk about a little bit about ASCE overall. I mentioned earlier that we have had a laser focus on diversifying the civil engineering profession for years and recently came out with a diversity, equity, and inclusion best practices guide, which includes chapters on strategic partnerships, events, and leadership and engagement. Later this year, there will be additional chapters on communications and assessment, accountability, and training. Now, within our HR department, our performance appraisals are tied to our organization's values, which reflect DEI principles. We have mentorship programs, community service groups, and other employee resource groups. We aim to ensure safe spaces so that staff can be their authentic selves in any work setting. And we are also in the process of evaluating additional tools to assess DEI efforts. I also wanna talk a little bit about where I live, which is publications. The publications diversity, equity, and inclusion strategic plans overall goal is to incorporate diversity, equity, inclusion, and accessibility as a central focus throughout all publications operations. By doing so enhances the scholarly research community by increasing diverse representation throughout the scholarly communications ecosystem. The publications team has a courageous leader, Dana Compton, who is always ready to join a meeting to discuss processes and our progress. She has opened our policy, albeit in a virtual space. Again, an instance of where leadership is available and supportive. Let's go back to the strategy for a minute. The priorities are improved translational content, 
ensure accessible content online and in the XML, advocate for open science and sustainability. Additionally, we are looking at our vendor selection process, reviewing the needs of incoming authors and editors, and making our platform friendlier to non-native English speakers. We also have a publications diversity, equity, and inclusion committee focused on a wide range of topics, including diversifying editorial boards, ensuring all journal submissions follow inclusive language guidelines, and we recently finalized our author name change process. The entire uh, publications department is invited to participate in conversations related to diversity, equity, and inclusion in publishing at any time. Excuse me, at any time. In summary, we seek to influence change in the broader industry, not just within our own policies and procedures, but by actively participating in initiatives such as the Royal Society of Chemistry's Joint Commitment for Action and on Inclusion and Diversity in Publishing, and the National Information Standards Organization's Working Group that is developing a recommended practice for author name changes, as well as other initiatives. During the time that I have left, I want to introduce you to the Anti-Racism Toolkit for Organizations. It is a project that I co-led with Jocelyn Dawson from Duke University Press. Over 50 volunteers, writers, readers, copy editors, illustrators, et cetera, had a hand in this project. This toolkit is a result of their hard work, expertise, level of engagement, and commitment to the mission behind the project. Volunteers from large publishers connected with those at small university presses and scholarly societies. The toolkit launched in August of this year. We partnered with the George Washington University Masters in Publishing Program in Washington, DC for some of the editing of this toolkit. We also partnered with PubHub, an open source publishing platform for large and small communities. This toolkit can be used by librarians, researchers, and others working throughout the scholarly communications environment. The Toolkits for Equity project includes three toolkits, one for allies, one for Black, Indigenous, and people of color, and one for organizations, which I'm talking about today. This, pro this project is under the umbrella of C4DISC, the Coalition for Diversity and Inclusion in Scholarly Communications. C4DISC is a cross-organizational collaboration with the goal to increase diversity, equity, inclusion, and accessibility in scholarly communications. In recent years, many diversity, equity, and inclusion committees have started up. The Toolkits for Equity project started out of a belief that the work of these committees could get a kickstart if tools and training materials were provided. And there was a need to reframe the discussion. A lot of efforts have not addressed the root of the problem, the role of white supremacy in our workplace culture. We thought it was crucial to bring an explicitly anti-racist framework to the discussion, to explicitly name white supremacy, and to talk frankly about the work that white people in our industry need to do to change workplace culture. The toolkits are based on anti-racism work by the Racial Equity Institute and Allies for Change. This toolkit is intended primarily for publishing organizations in countries with a history of colonialism and settler colonialism, and with legacies of white supremacy, slavery, and indigenous erasure. We hope that some of this content will be useful to readers around the globe, and that the toolkit will equip all publishers to become better partners to readers, authors, reviewers, librarians, and the worldwide community of scholars. You will make mistakes as you do this work. Own them, apologize, and keep moving forward. Upcoming guides from C4DISC will address disabilities and inclusive language and images, in addition to the upcoming anti-racism toolkit for Black, Indigenous, and people of color. The practical steps needed to transform our publishing practices and address the many inequities created by systemic racism and bias for our readers and researchers need their own guides. 
This information will be useful for publishers implementing or preparing to implement organizational change, but it is only a small contribution to the groundwork that is needed to truly transform the scholarly communications environment. Thanks to our fantastic speakers for helping highlight the gender and racial equity issues in STEM and identifying opportunities to create lasting change. Societies can begin by addressing the underlying issues, educate their staff, and nominate women and peoples of color for the highest of awards. They can also take advantage of employee resource groups and toolkits focusing on DEI efforts. Creating a more inclusive research culture is no longer an option. It must be a priority for everyone. That's it for this episode. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll join us next time. For Wiley, I'm Stephanie Wilson, and you can find more episodes and learn when new episodes are released by subscribing in iTunes or wherever you like to listen. You can get more news and information on Society Publishing from Wiley on Twitter by following us at Wiley in Research and on our website, wiley.com slash network slash society leaders. Our theme music was produced by Medine, and this episode was edited by Dennis Velasco. Thanks for listening.